0: Welcome to episode 578 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. All right, team. Welcome along to episode five, seven, eight of I am Talk with Coach John Newsome, Bevan James. Ox. how are you going? I am brilliant, Bevan. <laughs> we're at round two. I we use a, a, a program called Call cool Recorder, and I pushed. It's not a good endorsement for Call
1: cool Recorder. Well,
0: for some reason, it stopped tonight, and I did push record because there's two files, but the second one stopped for some reason. So we're, we're round two. We've done about 15 minutes, so we're back at the start. Now, at the beginning of the show, I said, "John, you're looking red." Yes, but I'm not Red Bevan. <laughs> it's never as good the second time round, is it? John, Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com. Social network for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And you can go first, Jumbo.
1: Natalie the Energy Source Smith. Steve
0: the freaky son of a gun, Chamberlain Ward.
1: Lawrence the Phantom Howls. Nice work. And
0: this week's show, it, it's probably even going to be shorter than the original show we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because John's just got back from holiday, it's quite late at night now. So basically, we're going to do the news. And then I actually did an interview with Simon Marshall and Leslie Patterson, the authors of The Brave Athlete Calm, The F Down, and Rise to the Occasion. And we're going to chuck that in later on as well. So John, let's get straight into it. Uh, this week's news, we're going to start with some results from what's happened over the last weekend. Tell me what happened, Johnbo.
1: We have thanks to Torsten from TryRating.com. He had his hometown race at Ironman Frankfurt, Uh, not Ironman Frankfurt, Ironman Hamburg, and we had a Dojo domination. If if you don't know the rules for our Dojo domination, it is you have to win a race by twenty minutes.
0: Yes, that's the domination officially.
1: And James Carnamah did that. He swam forty nine oh five. He rode four twenty four. And then he ran a very impressive 2 hours, 40 minutes for 8 hours and 36 seconds, wow. taking home 15,000 US big ones. And he was in front of Horst Rochelle from Germany and Marcus Farkbar from Germany as well. I always say his surname quietly because I'm just not quite sure I'm pronouncing what? it correctly.
0: i reckon you're right the the comment we made earlier on the show when we did the first version of this was the gap between first and tenth is ridiculous john we were talking about this in a females race a couple weeks ago there's a two hour four minute between gap between james and the tenth place getter michael um ivanco so that is ridiculous
1: it is, so between 1st and 7th, so he, James did 8 hours and 7th is 9.03 and then 8th eighth is 8.45, 9th nine is, is 9.50 and 10th is 10.04. And, yeah, it's not pretty. It's not pretty.
0: It really isn't, is
1: it? It's <laughs> <good>. <laughs> we can't tiptoe around it. it didn't, the guys didn't even look like they really exploded on the run. They were they're fairly consistently slow across the board. So, anyway, on the girls' side of things, Daniela... Seinler from Germany took it out 55 swim 455 on the bike 308 on the run for 907 taking it out from Eva who faded a bit on the run she was wasn't quite a dojo domination but she came home in 923 elsewhere around the world we also had challenge Regensburg we talked about that race because we stayed in Regensburg ourselves uh, when we were on camp a few weeks ago, Jan Raphael took that out in 8.02 for an eight-minute victory over uh, Sebastian nerf and Chris Fisher in third. Diana Reisler had a great performance and easily a dojo domination on the girls' side, winning an 8.51.02. Wow. Very good. For an thir- over-30-minute victory over Simona Cree Van Culver from the Czech Republic and Erica Chomor in third place. There was a bunch of other half distance races around the world. Andrew Starkwitz, good to see him back in top form, just demolitioning the bike ride, riding a one hour 58.30. If that's accurate, that is sensational. Well, that's one that's that... hour 58.30. I don't know if I've ever seen a sub two hour bike ride before. So wait,
0: that's 45 k's, that's about 45.5 k's an hour. Yeah. <gasps> Crazy. Creepers, creepers. That, and, that, that's TT, man. That is impressive.
1: And he, it, impressive um, run, given how fast he ran. He ran a 118. Now, Matt Hansen did run a 110 behind him and closed the gap, but but not by enough. But the rest of the guys he was up against, uh, they were sort of 115, 116, 117. So 118, pretty respectable. Girl side of things, Heather Jackson took that out. Uh, Challenge Finland, Dylan McNeese. Good Kiwi, good yeah, local Christchurch fella. Well, won on. by 30, 30 seconds um, with Kaiser Saley, who was in the top five in Kona last year, taking out the girls' race. So that's a quick wrap of the main races from the weekend. But we did also have um, not Ultraman Canada because that doesn't, well, it's, it's called the Ultra 520 in Canada.
0: But, so, but he does get an entry to the Ultraman World Championship. So.
1: Well, you've got to do an ultra-distance race, so oh, it's like, like a branded okay. series where there's, there's five slots here, there's two slots here. You've really got to prove that you're worthy of going to Ultraman by uh, meeting sort of, you know, you've done an ultra-distance race and showing you're up to stand and you're committed. But a uh, good friend of the show, Jordan, uh, took this out because he is the designer of uh, IM Talk uh, race
0: gear. Sean Bryden took it out, and I got to say, he's done. A, he's obviously a bit of a talented man in many areas. Because for those who have got our gear, and I'm not saying this because we, you know, we sell it, but it is awesome. Like it is such cool design. The new gear we get is just really, really cool. And uh, Jordan, you're a rock star designer, and then you go and you bloody win this race.
1: Yeah, and we had an email through from Rob from the World Triathlon Store. He was saying that uh, the way the the sort of race panned out was Jordan broke the swim course record with a two hour 24 for the 10k swim and he led by 17 minutes and then rode a 4.42 on day one to lead by 43 minutes. And on day two he rode the fastest ride of the day uh, over the 273 kilometer ride in 8 hours and 51 for a total of 15.58 for a 1 hour and 7 minute lead. And then on the final day, he ran an 8.14 on the double marathon to win the event over Matty Schrodenaris, who ran up into second place with a similar 8.16. Jordan's combined three-day time was 24 hours, 12 minutes for a 1 hour 15 victory. Yeah. very good race and Jordan also gave a bit of feedback, you know, the race is held up in the Penticton area, first time he's done an ultra distance race it's awesomely organised by uh, race director Steve Brown also you have another legend up there Steve King, he was just really impressed with the camaraderie between the, the athletes and the support crews it's a very very different feel from going and doing a, an iron distance race where it is sort of every man for himself, so he's heading back up there this week to um, go and support the itu world long distance champs and i was about
0: to say that john because penticton is the triathlon place to be in the world right now because we've got the itu long course distance champs happening starting this week so the festival happens starts this week and then we have the long course championship race The, the itu long course championship race is happening next weekend so we'll be talking about that on the show next week but this week we've got a few races haven't we john
1: We have the the ITU Duathlon World Championships, and they also, as part of that, have the under-23s, under-19s, as well as the elites and all the age groupers. They have the Aquathon World Champs, so um, Run, Swim, Run. Then they'll have the Cross World Championships, which is the ITU's version of Xterra. They'll have the Aquabike uh, and also the Long Course next weekend. So should be a great weekend next weekend. We'll see how much of a field they have in these other events. But if, it, if you are looking to go uh, and check out the Penticton area, it should be a good week.
0: Okay, John, uh, also coming up this weekend, we've got Ironman Sweden, which is the men's only race, Then we have Ironman Copenhagen, which is the women's only race, and then Ironman Triplank as well. So we've got quite a few Ironmen coming up, but it's kind of getting to the pointy part of the season where the field's probably won't be so strong.
1: They won't be so strong. So there'll be a f- couple of people still scrambling for points. There'll be a lot of secondary athletes looking to make some good money when athletes are out um, training for Kona. And a lot of the start lists are pretty unreliable because people are listed in two or three different races on particular weekends and, and a bit all over the place. So we'll see how that pans out over the next week. One other race is actually, I didn't list down there, that's actually in progress right now, Bevan. Okay. is And I am going to talk about. This next week is Ember Man. Oh, okay. Yep. It looks like at the moment, coming out of the swim, Freddie Cronenberg was right up there along with uh, uh, Zamora. Um, Victor Del Corral he was a few minutes down but also um, Marcel Zamores was up there so it's actually live as we are talking Carrie Lester is uh, racing on the girls side of things Emma Pooley doesn't actually have a swim time listed so I'm not sure if she's finished a swim but great great race if you ever want to go and do a good challenging very very honest bike course
0: Okay, just so some other news. Ironman have released a few things, well, kind of a few things that we're going to talk about today. So, first of all, they've offered a discount per race. So, you can buy a package where you could buy five Iron or WTC races or Wanda Sport races um, and you get a discount of 25%, four races, you get 20%, and so on. Uh, another initiative they've opened is basically selling nationality of clothes for, so let's say you're from Australia or New Zealand, you can get your nationality within the clothes that you're going to be using. And then the third thing they've announced is a a payment plan for Ironman races. So let's say you want to do Ironman New Zealand, you could pay it off over three three payments, I think monthly periods or quarterly periods or something like that. Um, So they're just kind of throwing some different kind of methods to make more money and maybe um, help people get into the sport.
1: And there's, they're doing more than that as well elsewhere in terms of deferral um, policy. So I think they they are listening to the customers in terms of saying, look, it's you know give us a break here. We're entering all these different races. So I think they're just trying to look after their regular customers. You yeah. can look at it cynically if you want to, but um, I think you know if, if I was someone that would, was entering multiple races, I'd be pretty appreciative of this gesture. Yeah, um,
0: totally. In the, the payment plan because you know it's not money to be laughed at, John. It's not.
1: (laughs) And also, the team uniform thing is that's been coming in over the last number of years. You know, it was certainly around when we raced over there in 2014. But I think it's something that we want to keep encouraging people to do is wear your national kit when you're actually over in Kona. I just think it's a real, I think it'll be a really. Beneficial thing and I think it'll be a good vibe if people are just racing a bit more for the country and kind of rather than everybody being over there by themselves
0: Yeah, for sure. So you know good on them for just kind of opening up the way they do things. Okay, John Let's talk about Athlinks
1: Athlinks.com next week We will be talking about the iPhone app that's being released So keep a lookout for that. It may already be in your app store. that You can check it out but the iPhone app is coming out. Uh, they don't have a, a, an Android one yet, so it's just starting with the iPhone one. So check that out, as well as keeping all your results in one place. So I just managed to claim my rote re- performance the other day, and it's just so much easier when you've got everything in one place, going back to, especially with foreign language um events that you might go to, just having everything in one place rather than having to never go and navigate through websites and find remember which years you do. I always forget which year I raced wrote You seem to remember all the time, but I think it was
0: You did two thousand eight. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But yep. if you keep it all on Athlinks. boom. Just all in one place. Compare your results You know, I'd be looking at the uh, results, sort of looking at my time this time, swim-wise, going, that was a bit crappy this time, but where was my placing versus last time, things like that. So keep all your results in one place, keep a lookout for that iPhone app coming out.
0: And I've got to say, um, the app's going to be pretty cool because, you know, you're coming home after a race and jumping on the website is worth doing, but, you know, there's a few steps involved, whereas post-race, you're sitting around the race, you're always kind of killing some time, you pull up the app, link the race to the website… Bob's your uncle, so we look out for that next week. Okay, John. Last week's discussion was sent by Ian. How did I say it again? I think it was Blake Locke, and he sent through an email. It's just about supplementation and where the line between banned drugs and supplements is, and it's got us thinking about this week's discussion, which was, what do you consider cheating around nutrition, John?
1: Oh, Bevan, I've closed the page now. Now is it still recording, Bevan?
0: Yes, we are still recording. Think we are still that.
1: recording. Good. Yep. I'll start with, start Scott, with Walls.
0: Scott. I'm going to wrap up because I read this the whole thing the first time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was you quite a lot. Bevan was
1: going, I'm bloody ever.
0: <laughs> uh, Scott, it was good. Good point. Long. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Back it up. What's up?
1: I'm, I go onto Facebook and then there's something. Oh, this is old. This is when you were on bloody with Mike Hosking. Have you been on there again? On
0: no, no that, sh- that's that's on. People just people are happy, happy, happy to share my story, John. I was, was on T V last week like... as well. I was on Steven Sharp last week as well. You know? Okay. But, yeah, so Tom. Mate, I'm 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 at least like an S grade celebrity nowadays, I tell you.
1: you don't you don't go anywhere until you do Fight for Life.
0: <laughs> I'll go back to Z then okay so Scott Woolsey is just basically saying it's a pretty hard question to answer Not I'm going to wrap up what he says here but he's basically saying that the line is always moving between you know drug. I mean the athletes and the coaches and always trying to push things forward and then kind of the organisations are always trying to find where that line is, and these things are always shifting. And he kind of said, "I agree with Bevan's estimate that the issue is going to be a bigger problem when we think about bio biogenetics and so on, and also the use of technology in the human body." Um, so it's going to be really interesting as we move forward. But one point he did say, "Is that I'm sure there are a lot of legendary athletes that would have loved to have the advancements available to modern athletes." And so yeah, good point,
1: David Dowdy. It's an easy question. If it's on the
0: banned substance list, then if you take it, it is cheating. And Greg Ashby put it the best way. <laughs> Being honest, it's a bit of a ridiculous question. <laughs> if it's not on the water list, then you can take it without any problem.
1: And that's pretty similar. Clive Aspin said the same thing. If it's not on the water list, you can take it. Um, Pavel Chalice said, in theory, anything improving your performance over your genetic limit, in practice, anything on the wider banned substance list. And that's kind of a the theme that's come up. It's, and, and I would agree with it as well. If it's on the list, can't take it. Uh, Phil, Scott, no, Phil if, Scott's if got a good on idea.
0: The... Phil Scott, did you read his one?
1: Uh, no, I did take not. Take
0: what you want, but make a compulsory that every athlete has three pints of beer and a hot curry the night before any event. ITU, WTC, Challenge, oh, IAAF, et cetera. That should level everything out.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just think you just got to play by the rules. If you play by the rules, you can
0: take whatever you want. Here's a funny situation, John. Let's say, and I know you're going to say it's the rules, but let's say you found out you have got a mate who's a bit of a chemist, and he invents some kind of formula which you know in a year from now it's going to be banned. You know, like you know it's going to be banned, mm-hmm. but they just haven't found it yet. You know, so it's just because you got your mate. But you know, you're getting twenty, like you're getting twenty percent gains in, in your training. Like it's it's a banned substance. Do you use it?
1: Well, I, I personally, I wouldn't. And okay. I'd, be, I'd be reporting it to WADA straight away. No, no, because that's really
0: interesting, because you're always the guy who goes, well, hey, if it's the rules, it's the rules. Mm.
1: But if I knew it was going to be banned, I'd, I don't think I would.
0: Yeah, it's a funny one, that one, isn't it? Um, we just did talk a little bit about that. What's what's the name of that documentary?
1: Icarus. Icarus. So if, to, if you go on to Netflix, I'm sure all of us who have got some sporting interest, it'll probably be the first thing that's recommended to you. It's a documentary. Uh, we're not going Brilliant. Gonna spoil it to Brilliant. At all. It's basically a documentary around... It, it takes a very – It starts, it starts
0: off, off with one thing and then it goes down a completely different path, which is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. It's, it's
1: humorous at the beginning, then it's scary, and then just it's all a bit troubling.
0: Yeah. Okay, guys, this week's discussion, what does your team or club do that makes you want to be a member? So we're kind of thinking about you know, if you're in a triathlon club or if you're in a team, what is it that, that they do for you that makes you value being a part of that you know that community so, yeah.
1: so if you're if you are somebody who's an organizer of a club or, or trying to get members, make sure you listen up next week or go onto our Facebook page and and take the feedback on what's working elsewhere in the world and uh, try to implement that.
0: Okay, John, bro, let's chuck on an interview. I did an interview with Simon Marshall and Leslie Patterson, the authors of The Brave Athlete, Calm the F Down and Rise to the Occasion. Now, John, I do swear in this interview. I pretty much swear in 10 seconds into the interview because they're a bad influence on me, John. Bad influence. But I, did, I have to say, the book is really good. I, I highly, I'm highly, i about halfway through it and I highly recommend reading it. But um, I think it has hurt them a little bit using the F word in it because some of the reviews are quite critical of the use of the F word. And I can see why they have. Um, but, yeah, if you're a bit sensitive to the F word, you're going to have to build a bridge in this next interview. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Here's the interview right now. Okay, today I'm very excited to have Leslie Patterson and Simon Marshall, the PhD Simon Marshall, I, I love the PhD next to the name, <laughs> uh, and they're the authors of The Brave Athlete How, Calm, the F Down, I, I can't say fuck on the show, but I, I probably shouldn't, uh, and Rise to the Occasion, <laughs> so welcome, welcome along to the show. Thanks, Thank you, Batman,
2: thanks, thanks
0: Batman, a lot. Mate. Uh, well, t- tell us, why did you come up with that, that name for the book?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I, can, yeah, I can jump into that one. So uh, when I, you know, uh, training full time as an athlete is a tough thing, especially an endurance athlete. So I set up a coaching business way back, um, and decided, of course, with my Scottish background, that I had to call it Brave Heart. Um, but more importantly, it kind of um, I really um, run true to how I kind of live my life to have a brave heart, right? To face your fears, to overcome adversity, um, to have a fighting spirit. So um, the brave athlete seems like you know that's kind of who I've. Become come through my journeys uh, and and that's how we've kind of learned um, and and sort of developed a lot of these strategies in the book uh, and then obviously uh, calm the f down is uh you know we, we take it so seriously sometimes and we're supposed to enjoy it you know this is a we take ourselves
3: so seriously that's yeah. the first thing and I think you know sport brings out uh heightened emotions in people and if you know, those of you know, if you've been around at well, humans, never mind being around athletes. I mean it's not it's not a word that's uh, you don't hear very often. But it, it gets the emotive part of it of sport. But also I think that listen, there's a lot of things that we can learn in sport but especially um that we often take ourselves and the sport too seriously it doesn't mean that you're settling for mediocrity or, or slowness but the fact that one of the first ports of call certainly in talking as a sports psychology person is to just you know step away take a breath and uh and, and focus and so that really kind of speaks to that as well so you know it's not it's not it's not for everyone we've had a few interesting comments about the title but you know the content inside we believe in we, we we strongly stand by so we don't think we're using it too gratuitously so what motivated writing the book
2: yeah you know it was um my athletic career has been been a long one thus far i've been doing it for like 25 years and um, when I came back to the sport, I had a retirement phase uh, between the ages of 20 and 25, where I went back and I studied theatre and acting and drama. And the reason I gave up sport to begin with was I was really disillusioned. I went into ITU racing and just the, the, the style of the coaches, they didn't treat me uh, as a person. They treated me kind of as a data point, And I didn't know how to deal with that as a 16-year-old girl. So gave the sport up and uh, uh, went back, studied acting and drama, got really into sort of who I was as a person my emotions, how I thought, how I felt. So when I came back to Xterra or the sport the second time uh, around, I just I um, had a different sense of self. And so really was quite self reflect about what I was thinking and feeling and how to get the best out of myself and my journey. And I'd come home each night and I'd speak to Sai and, be like hey listen this is what I'm thinking and feeling this is sort of what I'm doing and he was like oh that's really interesting the theory behind it is this that and that and so he would really uh, get the science behind what was going on and uh, yeah and, and that's kind of bit by bit we're like wow you know yeah. we started developing all these strategies and uh, that's how th- that was this, the genesis of the book really.
3: And I think, from my perspective, you know, working training as a sports psychology uh, um, expert, that you you learn predominantly through university departments, through academic textbooks, and you have internships and applied experience. But but a lot of, when I started to real work with real people, <laughs> not not fictitious case studies in academia, yeah, uh, some of these techniques that we were being trained in just didn't. St- didn't seem to to connect very well um, with the athletes that I was working with. Either some of them just seemed. to, I, I mean, I didn't even believe them. I don't know how am I supposed <laughs> to convince an athlete? So, so some of them are. I mean, that's an, partly an artifact of you know how science and research progresses, and it's it's not practitioners that are developing these for the most part. And then meeting an athlete like Leslie, where some of these techniques didn't seem to resonate with her. So, his kind right. that I always. And I retired from sports psychology actually about the same time she did from her ITU career, and I think from that combination of us talking about on this new philosophy, I knew that something was missing in sports psychology for talking to real people, and Leslie knew something was missing for how people talk to her with some empathy and bedside manner and stuff that actually worked, and that really, that combination, that interface, is really where the book came from.
0: And I'm writing the book, you know, as you, you know, as you sit down to write a book, what were you hoping the objective was for the reader to get? What you know, like we'll talk about some of the kind of strategies yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. philosophies in the book, but I was just kind of, you know, as a writer, you're always trying to spread an idea, aren't you? Um, and yeah. you know, so what was the kind of outcome you'd want someone to have got when they read your book?
2: So ultimately, we start with the basic premise of: Do you have thoughts and feelings that you don't want? And and ultimately our goal was to help athletes stop having so many thoughts and feelings that they don't want because that's such a common thing. We've coached, you know, hundreds of athletes. I've experienced, obviously, and been around a lot of athletes and people in general. And uh, they have a lot of these thoughts and feelings they don't don't want. They don't know why they do. They feel like they're crazy for having them. And then they have no solutions uh, uh, to help them out. So ultimately it was to make these athletes healthier and happier and as a consequence perform in their sport but also perform in their right, lives
3: right mm-hmm. and, I think, and, I, and one of the things that we really wanted to do was to meet athletes where they're at Emotionally and physically, and so one of the things that we noticed that athletes don't come to you and say, you know, you need more, you know, emotional and and psychological strength to run a half marathon. They say, I need to harden the fuck up. I seem to Mm. throw the towel in at mile twenty or whatever. And so the way that they would describe their issues were really, you know, they cut, they 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 were influenced by so many factors. Lots of different techniques could help. So we wrote the book around these thirteen things or these 13 conundrums that all came from our athletes or the athletes that we've consulted with so they didn't really come from us but so that's why we have some good confidence that most athletes when they look at them say you know I recognize myself in maybe 3 or 4 of them or 2 or 3 of them or 10 of them or so on and then trying to unpack those in terms of what's the psychology behind it what are some practical strategies to help you cope with it and exercises and then a case study with an athlete that we've actually worked with uh, in the book to show you how we how we do it but the entry point the starting point for all of this is let's talk about the thoughts and feelings that you don't want and that's really a nice place to for for us all to start because we don't have to then immediately zero in zeroing in on just how you feel on the pontoon before you you know 30 Mm -hmm. seconds before the gun goes off it can be you know a whole host of things about how they're coping generally with their their sport and their training and their athletic lifestyle so Yeah. yeah Well, it
0: is a very. I'm about halfway through the book, and it is very much the thing I really like about it is you know you're introducing concepts, but you're also giving us the tools to be able to work on, uh, you know. And I'm sure one thing you will be encouraging is the athletes put the time into the work on of the mind side of the game. You know, one of the downfalls, you know, this is an Ironman audience we're talking to here. So one of the downfalls of the Ironman athlete is they just think training is always the answer, and to, to spend that time outside of it and apply some of the kind of methods which we'll address soon. Um,
3: it's such an important facet of growing as an athlete, isn't it? Right. it? It is. And I think, you know, we often think of sports psychology or these mental skills as things like you know visualization and goal setting and and and, but really the role of how you think and feel about your sport permeates in in many and shows its face in many different ways athletes who are consistently terrible with their nutrition right now they know they might intellectually know what they should be doing but they consistently make bad decisions at Mm. the same point so those also have psychological or emotional bases and so the the exercises are partly also to deal with those sorts of things that athletes might not immediately connect that are are related to their mental attitude toward their sport so yeah it, it shows itself more than just the conventional strategies that we typically think of when we think of sports psychology
2: mm. so when you, and I, think, I was just gonna say uh, you know I think um, we're we're moving into a place I think in our culture you know of mindfulness of understanding mm sort of happiness what does that mean sort of existential crises and you know I mean you look at the demographic of Ironman athletes right it's kind of wealthier person you know a strive for success Mm a type personality and you know why is it never enough all of these kind of concepts keep coming back and so if you don't address those things not only is your sport going to go sideways but Chances are your personal life is, your business life is. So really we see the sport of Ironman, the sport of triathlon, of endurance sport as kind of a forum to investigate all of these things that are occurring, you know, from a mental standpoint.
0: Mm -hmm. So how did you define the 13? Like how did you go? I think you said you were (laughs) seven.
3: Yeah, like how did you break those down? So what we, we had a bit of a brain dump one evening and said, okay, let's talk about – we knew when we thought initially started talking about the book, what, what are the kinds of things that we hear the most from our athletes? And we just right. – it was like a, a blur on a page. And we wrote about 25, 30 of them down. And then we – some of them were, you know, overlapped and so yes. on. And then they – then they kind of reduce down to these 13 themes. And then we try to use the words that athletes typically how they describe these issues to us. And that's what became the chapter headings. But there are many more in there. Like there's one that that, that, that we didn't fit in the book, mainly through page space, was to do really with motivation. Um, and and the re- one of the reasons that kind of got the, 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 the chop in the end is because often motivation um, isn't uh, – uh, a top priority for our for the kind of athletes that we see because generally the long course athletes and i'm they're extremely dedicated they're not usually suffering from mm. they have trouble getting out yeah. of in the morning now there are some things that help with that but most of the point it was these stretches are kind of either reeling people back a little bit physically and how you do that it Coping with the emotional and, and psychological aspect of it, or things like coping with injury and and, and so on. So yeah, we'd love we'd love to like include about five or ten more because there are plenty of them, and this mm. certainly isn't exhaustive. But these are the ones that we certainly see the most uh, others most prevalent in our experience. So let's, let's,
0: let's look at the deal with them. I've just got the kind of chapter headings in front of me. The, the I feel fat one is one that um, I'm, I'm a running coach, and it's and I actually target a a much easier demographic than the Ironman, like I've got a group that's very much beginner runners. Um, but even people who I get up to half marathons, that they, kind of I feel fat thing is always a big issue. Um, can you talk about that?
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've, you know, obviously being a woman, I think I think the female demographic is a little bit different, although we do, you know, there's plenty of men that have issues like that too, of mm-hmm. course. Um, but, you know, I grew up in that environment, right? I had an eating disorder, I had, you know, I, I, I deal with body image issues all the time, um, and it's affected my health, um, so it's, you know it's kind of close to my heart, but also I'd say that every single athlete that we've spoken to has some kind of issue with it. Everybody, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, male, female, old, young, professional, beginner, um, because we're, we're bombarded by images of, you know, what we need to look like, especially mm-hmm. in our sports, unfortunately. Um, and, it, and it also um, it attracts that sort of neurotic yeah. type of personality. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. there's actually science to show that yeah, it does there is, there is. so you know um you put all of those things together and you get you know body image issues and exercise addiction uh, all all together so um yeah and, and it's
3: a sport uh, fundamentally where weight matters. Yeah, yeah, right? like I'm um, doing better if so, I'm leaner. Right. Know, just sort of exactly. a, a and so it encourages the negative behaviour. You can't really get away from it. And and the sport culturally celebrates it. I mean, you look at the underpant run in Kona, right? Mm. If there's nothing more that celebrates the leaner body ideal, yeah. then it's that. So so I think your athletes are bombarded, not only with those yeah. messages that, you know, leaner, what's per kilo? You can If you can't do much about your power, you can do something about your kilo. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think that that is constantly always ever present, and then combine that with the personality types that are attracted to long distance endurance activities. So there is more neuroticism, there is more anxiety, uh, generally. And we know that those people gravitate to the sport rather than the sport turns them into that. Mm. So it's sort of a breeding ground for these thoughts and feelings as well, in addition to being culturally celebrated and reinforced or rewarded, I should say, at a performance level. So it kind of creates this little, you know, melting pot of of, of trouble Mm. (laughs) out the road. Yeah.
0: And for for people who have worked, you've worked through with that. How do you help someone with that? Because it's because like I I love this idea of how much time do I spend in my energy in a certain area of my life. That kind of you know how much am I thinking about this is a really good way to think about it. And you know if if you're spending a lot of your day thinking, I feel fat. Well, it's a wasted opportunity for other thoughts in your life, you know, to, to more empowering thoughts. And so it can be quite a consuming thing that's actually quite a waste of your life. And so if we can move you forward from that, then that's really powerful and what it creates for opportunity moving forward.
3: So how have you worked through some people with these types of kind of consuming yeah. thoughts? Well, I think the first port, well, the first place is to, is to figure out how serious it is. So, you know, and the first thing that we do, because we're not, I'm not a clinical psychologist, I don't specialize, I'm not technically um, uh, 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 able to specialize in treating eating disorders, but you do need to know what some of the symptoms are and whether someone is at risk or someone may have an eating disorder, you need to refer them. And so we know, for example, that if you're having Thoughts and feelings about your own body or about your eating habits. I mean, this is just one of seven criteria that, that clinicians use to diagnose it. And if you're having those on a regular basis, and when we say regular basis, we're talking about daily. Yeah. And if you're and, and when we say about, well, okay, I might think about how what I'm eating on a daily basis, and most athletes will probably do that. Mm-hmm. But then, are you are you thinking about this for hours on end? So one of the things we're looking at the frequency with which you do think and feel this way, and then we're looking about how that it affects other areas, your other areas. Areas of your life and so one of the big risk factors for endurance athletes uh, you may have come across it's called orthorexia yeah. and it's yeah. not yet recognized by some of the psychological authorities but it probably will soon be in, in the sort of the diagnosed diagnostic manual that psychologists use. And it's really once you start to develop healthy eating habits, uh, a uh, a clean diet, but that can go to an extreme and you become obsessed, almost ritualistic about how clean your diet is to the extent that it ends up being quite actually unhelpful for you. You or unhealthy for you because your diet becomes so restrictive. You're you're not only minimizing, you're not only getting a limited macronutrient, the main macronutrient, but micronutrients are deficient as well. And so it can go down this pipeline or go down this funnel where it starts to actually hurt you. So, what we're trying to do as coaches is figure out firstly, do you need to see a real specialist to cope with it? And so we have a little checklist, we include it in the book. And then, if not, then we just talk about okay, you have these thoughts and you don't like them and they're not frequent enough to make it a clinical disorder, but how do you start to deal with it? So that's really our starting point. And I think because it's mainly women who are likely to admit it, even though the prevalence is higher of those sorts of things among women, they're also more likely to admit it. It starts with some very practical things that you can do. Our goal is not to say, listen, uh, we can't target the social-cultural influences of body image that screams at women and girls to be thin on a regular basis. That's incredibly important, but that doesn't help you on a Thursday night, mm-hmm. right, when you're thinking about it and you're depressed or you're having a second glass of wine or you're hitting the, the candy jar or whatever it happens to be. So one of the things that we can do is look at what we call or psychologists call fat talk how you talk about your body with your friends or your teammates. And one of the things that we know, and Fat Talk is simply talking about your fatness or your feelings of fatness with others, uh, with another athlete. And this goes something like, oh, I feel so fat. And like, what are you, look at you, you're a stick. Look at me, if you think you're fat, I'm fat. Yeah, look at this, and, yeah, I, yeah. And, that, and on it goes. And what we know, it's cathartic in the short term for athletes to do that, but we know it's very destructive in the long term. It actually makes the problem a lot worse. So what we're trying to say is when you recognize yourself doing it, or you recognize a teammate doing it, not to sort of pretend it's not there, but to try and have a discussion about, listen, let's talk about the things that your body can do versus the bo- what your body is. And we know that, uh, for example, we all have thoughts and feelings about our bodies or our eating that we don't want on a regular basis. But what we can do is to start to interject in how we discuss it and talk about it. And so cutting down fat talk among you or your athletes is really important. It's a first day and b see it as also a moral obligation that you have as a coach or as a teammate to say listen we know that this might feel good in the short term but ultimately it's reinforcing and we know that it leads to more unhealthy dietary practices and so on so that's just one little thing that we could all probably try to to step in on
0: i love that reference of um focus on what my body can do not what it is that's that's a really good perspective to kind of sit in
2: isn't it yeah yeah i've really had I've really had to focus on that as an athlete myself, you know, because um, ultimately, you know, I lost a bunch of weight and won three world titles, you know, it's like it validated it, but Mm. as female, especially, you know, that really jacks up your hormones and a whole load of other things. And so, you know, Ultimately, you have to cycle your weight, and that can be a really difficult thing as well to put the weight back on that you lost for a big race. Um, but but where I step in, I think, is I talk to a lot of the athletes about it, like how I feel, what I've gone through. I try and empathize with them mm. so that they realize that how they're feeling is not crazy, that it's normal that someone like me feels that way too. Uh, then I talk about little strategies that I've done to help myself. Um, And I think a huge thing boils down to um, the beauty of how it feels to feel good while you're training. Mm. And I think that when you focus so much on weight and diet, that beauty starts to dissipate because the driving force is about something else, but also your body starts to deplete itself and eat itself up. So for me it's the why. Why am I doing what I do? What brought me to the sport in the first Mm -hmm. place? So you know, just getting down to some of these basic kind of really passions uh, 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 to to hold on to, you know, um, yeah. I think another
0: thing to really contemplate is that if you think that the reason you you know if if your esteem comes from that moment of peak where you were the leanest you were, then it also diminishes everything else that took you to get there. So you you know that you know you you can't actually enjoy the the whole journey of the
2: experience if there was only the weight that was the thing that got you there as well. Right, Mm -hmm. totally, and I think, you know, again, that's you know, if you're looking at cycling weight, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a beauty in sort of nourishing your body, giving it rest and recovery, nourishing your mind and feeding it and getting it ready and feeling like there's some sort of battle ahead. Then gradually building up, your body starts to change, your muscles start to get stronger, you start to see the performance. Yeah, yeah your body changes, it does get leaner and all those kinds of things for a big race. So it's enjoying every aspect mm. of it, right? Just what that peak brings, as you say, you know the journey, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so one, one of the,
0: well, you've got lots of areas here. I've just got again the chapters in front of me. One you've got to talk about is, is crossing the fear barrier. The chapter is called um, "I don't like leaving my comfort zone." So, maybe talk about this one because I, I, you know, the, you often see two like I teach a lot of group fitness classes, um, like spin classes and all that type of thing, and and you always know the person who loves hurt. You know, you can just see that the easiest person to train. It's almost like they're chasing something trying to find something in hurt if you know what I mean like it's they're trying to find their answers in hurt and those are the easiest people to train because you say turn it up and they'll turn up 10 times and then you've got people who you you know as a motivator of trying to take people to another level you just you can never seem to get it out and there's a there's a fear of taking that risk and uh it seems to be that's what you're talking about here so maybe can you talk a little bit about that
3: Yeah. So, I mean, so one thing about comfort zones, I mean, it's sort of this, these psychological fences that we erect, right, about around ourselves, about things that scare us, uh, that we're ultimately, we're worried about being embarrassed or humiliated or shown in front of everyone else that you're inadequate or that you can't do something. And those... Those sorts of thoughts and feelings come from this limbic system, the chimp brain that we talk about in the yeah. book quite a lot. And and one of the things, and your and for, those come to you for a good reason. Your body, you know, millions of years ago, when those sort of those emotions and drives were really created from that limbic system, they're 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 biochemical in nature. They're felt as impressions like uh, by those emotions, but they're trying to take you out of situations where ultimately that you they think that your life is at, at risk. And millions of years ago, being humiliated, embarrassed, and inadequate actually did mean that your life was at risk because you were often ostracized from your troop. You had to forage on your own for food, and then you would die probably a fairly lonely, uh, awful life. But nowadays, it's just these silly little events that we've got in our life which are related to swim, biking, and running, right, or doing fitness classes. So one thing is to, is to try and help athletes understand Firstly, how we define failure is really critical as an athlete and a coach. And I think that many athletes start to think of failure as not being able to achieve or complete something, other people seeing them not being able to achieve or complete it, and more importantly, they worry about other people around you, they can all do it, but I can't, and they're all looking at me thinking, why are they here, they shouldn't be here, they're not a real athlete, or they should have got no business being here, they're just a beginner, and so these sorts, and so what you really need to do is get to the bottom of some of these thoughts and, and start to redefine what failure means. And so we, we try and avoid using the word failure at all we talk to you, we use we use things like guidance so we use it or all information that you get from an event a training session or a race is guidance for how to be better next time and we encourage people to fail and we make it okay to fail and in fact some of our training sessions are deliberately designed to fail that's why they're there if you haven't failed in this session you haven't done the session correctly so you're trying to get people used to it and to see that the world still turns people aren't laughing and pointing at you people are you know everyone is in the same sort of they're on the same suffer bus as it were they've all bought their tickets so we're trying to make that environment a lot easier to do and then to see that to pick up that information and then say how does this help us be better next time there are some athletes who just you know don't like to be seen with snot all over their face or grimacing Or there are some athletes that think that if I give everything uh, I've got and it's clear that I'm giving everything and it's still not enough because I don't do as well as I thought I would or other people, then what does that say about me? It says that I clearly must be a failure. Mm. So people hold back or they don't put themselves in those environments really learning learning rather than just outcome so it's kind of a challenge to get right but that comes in the in the design of classes as well and how you talk to athletes during those sessions
2: I think as well it's also you know different people have um uh, their comfort zones are, are different for different people right so being out of a comfort zone for one of your spin class people might be the very fact that they're in a pair of lycra like, shorts mm. or that you they- came to class and so they've already had a massive win by just showing up and doing it so you know I think that, that the bar is very different for different people uh, and, and, and and that's something I think that I really respect and, and, and I think sometimes when I'm coaching athletes they'll come to me and they, they'll say oh am I good enough to get coached by you or do I deserve to get coached by someone like you and, and, and for me that's irrelevant do you have passion uh, for the sport that's enough and I think as long as uh, people have that level of passion and they're willing to, you know, inch out in towards, you know, what it what is outside their comfort zone, you know, then then that's good enough. And and I think that, um, yeah, just just kind of appreciating that everyone is different with what that means. I mean, for some of my athletes, it's literally they're so scared of a group workout, they're so scared. So getting them to turn up is just everything you know, let alone the workout. I mean, even mm. I've had athletes where I'm like, just come and watch the workout. Come and see what it's about. Mm. Chat to people. They come and they watch and they chat. And I'm like, oh, awesome job. Yeah. That's great. Well done for coming along. But, you know, and for someone like me, I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'll rock up to any group session because mm. that, for me, is not out of my comfort zone. Right. Mm. Out of my comfort Someone is having three rest days in a row, and someone feeding me me potato fries—you know that for someone, someone's comfort zone. So you know, (laughs) yeah,
3: that sounds great. So,
0: so for the individual, it's really important to spend time understanding what that fear is. Yes, right.
2: Yes.
3: Yeah. Okay.
2: So you yeah. know when they are pushing beyond it and when to reward them and then maybe how to just kind of keep,
3: and, keep and i them. think one important point is you know what we learned about the sort of the neuroscience of adversity and resilience and we know that your brain is physically changing in response to being put in situations that you are the, that on the face of it seem impossible or hard and scientists call this neuroplasticity you know there's there's ne- neural changes in the brain that are happening to make you more able to cope with that in the future so so your comfort zone is constantly changing and the way to expand it or I should say shrink your comfort zone is to is to put yourselves in those situations you, you're redrawing the lines in the sand of what you think that you can do and often it takes and you if you can do it in groups that's great because you know people that suffer together usually stay together mm. and that builds that sort of camaraderie so I think that there's an element of learning that it, what it feels like to suffer and not fail uh, meaning that you're getting guidance for what to do differently and then seeing it as this has been sort of a comfort zone workout. It's physically changing your brain so that you'll feel better about it next time. So mm-hmm. it isn't about, oh my God, and my pace is there. So I feel like there's my perceived exertions here and everything's already terrible. I knew it would be. Well, that's not the goal. The goal is to get you to feel as though this is really difficult. I don't know how much longer I can put up with this and then keep going. And then it's also part of, you know, that's the, the, the soft science of coaching as well, right? That encouragement and motivation. So you make it okay to do that.
0: Mm. And you you talk about coping with injury, which is um, it's often a big problem for a, you know a type personalities like triathletes because they they create bigger problems because they don't deal with injury very well. You know, eg, they keep you know, exercising when they should stop, or you know, all those types of things. And so, what are some of the things that you would say how to respond to kind of injury time, so that we can actually be successful in looking after the body, but also not mm-hmm. be a depression time for for those who are right. in the sport. Mm.
2: I mean I've dealt with a lot of pretty major injuries and continue to do so
0: Mm.
1: with
2: a lot of injuries too so I've kind of created a a system if you will whereby um, I use the energy that I might have put into that specific sport i use that energy and i funnel it towards figuring out what's happening what's going wrong and how do i improve myself beyond that so for instance most athletes that come to to me with an injury they just want to treat the symptoms they just want to get a massage art get a cortisone injection something like that that is purely masking what's going on the first question that should be asked is why did it happen Mm. i mean obviously had a fall you've tripped you've hit something that's a little bit different but we need to figure out from a biomechanical standpoint yeah why did this injury occur because until you fix that it's only going to reoccur or other injuries are going to come come about because of it so making sure that you have people that you feel really confident to go to like a biomechanist or a run analysis specialist or a bike fit person or you know all of the above having that little team that you that are your go to people that have been you know you believe in that other people have recommended that you go see and educating yourself around okay where's the site of injury and what might be causing it so you can get on you know i mean you can start doing google searches and really trying to understand and learn what's going on in the body so education is a huge piece once you've got that nailed then you look at the symptoms and you say okay how do i treat the symptoms is it ice is it compression is it heat is it injection therapy is it you know there's a whole host of things now that you can do and depending on your finances how much time you have you know i've had everything from prp injections which is blood platelet injections I've stem cell injections, um, I've done cold laser therapy, I mean, on and on and on and on. Um, so for me, though, that's a, a big cathartic thing, is to really feel like I'm putting that energy mm-hmm. towards fixing myself and being very proactive. That That's a real positive thing yep, I can yep. garner out of an injury. Um, And then the third thing is, what exercise can I do that isn't gonna compromise my comeback from injury? Um, So for instance, for me, often it's a running injury. Um, So quite often I can do things like, whether it's elliptical training, or I have a, a steer mill uh, at the gym, which is like a stairmaster thing, which is revolving. And so I actually run in it while holding it, so I can, it can hold some of my body weight if it's a you know a body weight issue that's causing the injury, for example. And I can get great workouts in that damn thing. It's like a strength. It's like hill intervals. And um, so essentially, what I'm doing is I'm tiring myself out. In other ways, so maybe the bike volume goes up, or the swim volume goes up, uh, or I have a swim block where I can really, you know, improve on my swim technique. So I'm always getting something positive back from what feels like a devastating, uh, mm. a, a devastating scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, sized dealt with me on on many occasions. <laughs> But I'll tell you what, what did happen uh, a couple of years ago, actually, almost to the day. Um, I was in, like, great shape. I was racing uh, pr- professional mountain biking. i just won a U.S. pro mountain bike race, and I was due to fly out to Europe and do a bunch of World Cups. I was already out in Switzerland waiting for me, and uh, the day before I was supposed to fly out, I went over the handlebars and broke my left wrist mm. and right hand, um, and it was just devastating. I mean, I cried the rest of the day. I mean, I, I'm... I wouldn't say I'm particularly a crier and it wasn't that it hurt. I was just so devastated Mm. and I I went to that ER I cried I cried I cried I cried I cried and as soon as I got home I said to uh, my buddy at the time I was in Colorado I said set up the bike set up the trainer I need to do something to know I can do it and 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 there I was all bandaged up and I spent two hours in the trainer just coming back from the hospital just to know that I could do it and that was it I didn't cry at that point Mm. I was like right okay how are we going to move forward and we ended up going up uh, into mammoth up into altitude and spending a month uh, up there so I could get an altitude block uh, and I could set up my trainer looking out in the mountains in a beautiful environment so I you know I wasn't all oh I'm back in San Diego and I should have been here and I should have been there and you know so again mm. it's just kind of reframing the negativity of what's occurred to
3: mm-hmm. you. I was going to say that Look, when you when you have an emotional reaction to something that's quite traumatic to you it doesn't have to be objectively traumatic it's just because it infla you it, it, it me the sport means a lot to you. you even have a lot invested in it physically financially and socially and something happens to derail your plans of course you're going to have a negative emotional reaction that's entirely normal so one thing is that athlete and we encourage athletes to wallow a little bit in those emotions as long as you don't let them persist and drag on for weeks and weeks and so we schedule, we ask athletes to schedule wallowing time. So because otherwise what happens with stress is it kind of creeps up in all your thoughts and feelings every day. You're constantly thinking about and say, right, what I'm going to do Thursday between 12 and 1, all I'm going to do is worry about my injury. I'm going to bitch and moan. I'm going to complain. I'm going to write all the stuff down that's really on my – and what you're doing is you're kind of outsourcing a place to actually so that you can – it's like making a list when you're stressed. Mm. And so if you give yourself a dedicated time to focus on those things, whether it's what you're going to do biomechanically, whether what you're going to just do, have a bitch, purge, emotional moan. Get it in the diary so that you actually know that you've got time allocated so that you can work on it. But don't be alarmed the fact that you are having a reaction to it, because it's entirely normal. We worry if it persists for a long period before we think that there's something more or deeper going on. Just to add to that, um, we will kind of
0: slightly off target, but... um, it's interesting. I always think as well because you know, for the athletes, like so, cons- life's so consumed by their sport. It's an opportunity for me to put time into other areas of my life through injury. You know, like right. I, I play music, and when I was doing Man if I got injured, it meant sucked, but it meant I could jump on a piano for a week. You know, and that was something that I didn't get to do a lot of. Right. When I, you know, so where's the other benefit right. outside of the sport, right? Yeah, perfect.
2: I know that's perfect. Yeah, and, and and it's just a nice distraction, and it's a way to develop other things, I'd say that probably it takes me about a week, Trans, depending on how severe the injury, it will probably take like a week, you know, for me to be able to, right. you know, it's not like all of a sudden the next day you can say, right, I'm not going to be yeah. bothered that I'm because because generally you've organized this race and that race, you're supposed to be training with this buddy and that buddy, your whole social environment right. is caught up in it and everyone else has been out for the long ride and you haven't and you know, all those kind of things, so. Uh, but the,
3: but the, the, the greater... The, the one dimensionalness of your life is meaning that yeah. there's sport in it, work, sleep, so, then the more it's going to hit you if Maybe. something happens to direct. You. So, this is what psychologists call your self concept. And this is about the Thoughts and beliefs and attitudes you have about yourself as a person and what's important and all the things that feed into that are all we all have different self-concepts. So, for example, you have one as a, a husband, one as a wife, one as an employee, one as an athlete, one as a parent, one as a blah, blah, and on and on it goes. And yours is a musician. So, all these feed into your self-concept. So, it's just a bit like an investment portfolio, right? If you have one stock takes a hit, there are other things to keep things buoyant. But if you've got all your eggs in that one basket and it's feeding your self-concept, has only one input and it's coming from your sport well lo and behold you're gonna be in for a pretty nasty surprise when you have an injury so you can be preemptive about this you can look at athletes and see what else they've got going on in their life before they get injured and try and encourage them to get other things Mm -hmm. going for as a way to protect their self-concept when and if they do get injured
0: Um, just kind of heading towards the end here but I suppose a couple of questions I have is for those people you've worked with and they've been successful in creating change what have been the keys like I know you've got the 13 areas and and, you know I highly recommend the book and people we've only really touched on a couple of things today but um, you know like as someone who's trying to help people, which you guys are doing, your real measure is do people change? And, you know, and so – and obviously you've worked with people and you help them change. So there's common themes that come through for those people who actually work through some of this stuff and actually have moved forward. Yeah. yeah.
2: I'd say for, for us it's probably um, – the biggest aha moment is when we educate them that the thoughts and feelings they have are perfectly normal, and here's why. So this is the fight that's going on in your brain. This is why you have that fight from a um, you know sort of mm-hmm. from a science you know right, science right. background a neuroscience background, and uh, as a consequence you know the first port call is they don't feel crazy, and then we start looking at right. you know what are those thoughts and feelings? Why do they have them? And going through the solutions. So I think,
3: I, so I think, teaching, giving athletes a mental model. and This is our chimp, professor brain, and yeah. computer brain analogy metaphor. Giving them a mental model for understanding why they feel the way they do is half of the battle. In fact, it's even a little, um, the little sort of cliche in psychotherapy is self-awareness is the cornerstone of change. Right. Mm. So the more you can get people to be aware of what they're doing and why, or what they're thinking and thinking and why, many athletes organically find strategies to help themselves once they have a sense of oh okay that's normal that's why well this is why that's happening so this strategy would work and that's why that doesn't so having people giving them a kind of a framework to understand why their head is feeding them these thoughts is a really is, a, is an absolute critical uh, a critical first step absolutely
2: and i also think that um a lot of a lot of people the thoughts and feelings they have when they're in their sport they don't realize that it, that it's foundational that it, that it's coming from other areas of their lives so once you give them that level of awareness all of a sudden you know whether it's issues of I feel fat or or, oh I'm just not good enough I can't really go train with that group you know I'm too slow well what do you mean by you're too slow and why does that matter if you feel like you are too slow and you start asking the big why questions Mm. which get to bigger foundational issues that they have going on in their world and that's when the sport becomes kind of a therapy and that's when the changes become more um, profound and also uh, cement themselves a lot more Um, and yeah I mean we've had athletes that have changed relationships, that have changed jobs gotten new jobs, gone in completely different directions with their lives because they've gone through this self-discovery this
3: awareness and Uh, I think the second one of the the second sort of uh, uh, aha moments for athletes is having an understanding that what's important, certainly when it comes to performing, is about staying in the moment, executing a process, right? So we say to, when you ask athletes, what's the most important thing this morning, or for this race, oh, I need to get a, a qualifier for this, I need to get on a podium, I need to PR this, I need to beat that person, I need to keep my ranking. No, that's all those things are outcomes. What the most important thing that you can do is how do you best execute the process of swimming, biking, running as efficiently and as fast as possible in the moment. And what that means is that it, any one time the only two things that are in your control are your effort and your attitude that's all you can control when the gun goes off all the everyone else though whether you get hit knocked who you go all you control is your effort and attitude okay you've got tactical decisions and you've got things about your nutrition but effort and attitude so and what we try and do is we teach athletes reminders or how to cue in to what that actually means in the moment so that you're not thinking i'm only you know three miles into the run so that's all that goal that i want is already out the window what's the point anymore i might as well just soft pedal i might as well just easy blah blah and on you go and then you find you're mentally throwing in the towel and so on so trying to stay in the moment and focus on effort and attitude and it's hard to do that it's easy to say but it's hard to do that and the basis of that the psychological base of that is mindfulness mm-hmm. so meditation training mindfulness training are the skills that you need to be able to stay in the moment when it's hurting when it's suffering or you've got all this intrusive stuff telling you that it's going to shit or it's not, it's not going to happen today and all those stuff you've got to stay in the moment and that mindfulness is the way that you do it um just
0: just on a personal level what, what areas are the ones that you both struggle with the most on an, on an individual level
1: yeah.
2: Me would be definitely the body image that I feel fat, uh, exercise addiction. Uh, those two big, yeah, those yeah. were the two biggest ones for me, to be honest. Um, when I was younger, of course, I definitely had that. I just want to harden the f up, and you know a bunch of other ones. But I think through my journey, I've really sort of mastered a lot of it. And you know that's how we essentially built the book, right? These were all issues that yes, our athletes had, but the majority of them I've had. Uh, or continue to deal yeah. with. And then yeah. I've, 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 come up while I've been out there across the last 25 years, we've come up with solutions for them. So yeah. I would say probably all of them.
3: Yeah. <laughs> mine, mine is probably the comfort zone thing about, you know, entering races or events where you don't feel quite prepared for, or you feel as though I, it needs to, I think needs to be perfect if I'm going to do that. And, uh, and, and actually getting into a mindset that you, you need to start you know, getting on the start line and you're, the cards you've been dealt that morning are what they are and then effort and attitude all the way. But it's still a, it's a continual battle.
0: Yeah, and, and I think obviously the thing you want to encourage is that these are work-ons. You know, you, you, the book's great. The book, The Brave Athlete, come the, the Fuck Down uh, and Rise to the Occasion, is, um, I highly recommend it. I really, I think, i only halfway through it, but I really I like what you're doing with the book and I think there's a lot of value. But you've got to do the work, don't you? You know, like people have got to make sure sure you know, like they're putting the time into, you know, you identify reading the book, oh, this is me, and other areas you might not identify with so much. But you'll be able to go, okay, well, if this area is really the thing that I am need to progress on, you can use the tools, put the time aside. Because the thing, I, I, I we can change. And I if, if, you've, if you've sat in something for a long time, you almost identify that this is who I am and this is just the way it's going to be forever. But we can change if we're willing to do the work. And so that's why your book's such a great resource mm-hmm. and a tool to help us change and then you know commit to doing the work really isn't it mm-hmm. totally so, and then yeah. just
2: you know even bit by bit even take one chapter one tiny little exercise and if that's all you do in a whole year it doesn't you know it's it's you know bit by bit some people are great they'll do the whole thing but other you know even if it's one tiny little thing you know yeah. and it's
3: no different than a Skill. I mean, yeah, it's that you don't expect to be a great tennis player overnight. You don't expect to be a great swimmer overnight. You have to put the work in, and just that the, the the exercises that you do for your head look and feel slightly different than they do to become a better swimmer.
0: Well, the book again, the brave athlete, uh, calm the fuck down, or, or what do you when you're doing like proper PR, where, you, where you're not allowed to swear. What do you say? Do you say if dear
2: everyone's different you know it depends on the audience eh? you know i mean i'll I'll drop the the f bomb whenever you know that's that's my nature i'm a scottish lassie but uh yeah we have to be a wee bit we did a talk at a catholic girls school so oh, that, yeah. i'm sure that went down well <laughs> that went down like a storm you
3: that's know? right but, uh, yes. calm the dickens down well and there is a website what's the website it's uh, braveheartcoach.com. Okay, um, braveheartcoach.com. You can order it through there. or It's also on you know bookstores and Amazon yeah. and all the other places. Yeah. Hi, yeah.
0: right, guys. I'll put a link great, to that mate. in the show notes. And thanks for your time today. It absolutely awesome. Thanks, thanks oh, Bevan. And, yeah, one last
2: thing, Bevan. Yeah, hey, we have it. a... Smog test if athletes are interested. So uh, they can just fill out our smog test online. know what that means yeah, it's like uh Yeah, it's like a, you know, <laughs> basically they fill it out with a bunch of uh, questions and then I'll give them a call, no strings attached, chat through their training, see how they're doing, and, Great. Yeah. and that's
0: that. And they go to the, your website, thebraveathlete.com. That's our website, yeah. It's like your little, uh, little uh, check-up from the neck-up. Check-up from the neck-up. There you go. I love it. I love it. Hey, thanks for your time, guys. <laughs> All right, see thanks, brother. Bye. And we are back. And John, I do recommend getting the book. I put a link to it in the show notes. You can go to our website, www.imtalk.me, or you can get on Amazon and all the places we'd normally go. Uh, John Bo, let's do the winger of the week.
1: Hit me with a number, Bevan. One to nine. Um,
0: um, six. What's six? Six. Swinging. Oh. The most
1: runtime. So scroll, scroll, scroll. The most. Oh, God. How am I going to pronounce this? Oh, that's not too bad. Um, It's winning the most run time. First place, taking out the wang of the week with 10 hours and 21 minutes and 57 seconds was Amon Pipegrass from the UK. How long long was it, John? 10 hours and 21 minutes and he only did three runs.
0: Oh, those three long runs.
1: Holy smoke, good old Louis Giuseppe. Oh, Louis the Fly. Second place in 10 hours and two minutes. And only five five runs. And then someone walked their way into third place, Richard Swan.
0: <laughs> four, 14 walks
1: and uh, eight hours and 49 minutes. And the girl side of things? Girl side of things. Anna Marie Watson from the UK in four hours, 58. Joe Coombe in second and Melissa Uri in third. What's the
0: most you've, you reckon you've ever ran in one week?
1: Four oh, hours, wise. I'd be saying three, four. Probably on an epic camp, you probably do
0: eight to nine. I would have thought eight to nine hours. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've never really, especially consistently, never really ran that long. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah
1: wouldn't be much more than that.
0: Well done, on You are uh winger of wanger the of week. week. Here we go. Okay, Jumbo, we're just going to sponsor.
1: Extreme Endurance. Yes. If you guys have got your end-of-season races coming up, check out xendurance.com. If you haven't tried Extreme Endurance yet before, it usually kicks in in about 72 hours, even if you are only you know, a couple of weeks out from your race or you've got a little build-up race coming up and you want to test it out. only takes a couple of days to kick in. So say you've got a Olympic distance and it's five weeks out from your main Ironman race, take it before... Let the proof be in the pudding and uh, you'll notice that you bounce back a hell of a lot quicker. You'll just feel like you've got that little bit of extra edge on race day. You don't feel that burn coming on quite so much. But the main thing will be that you'll recover a hell of a lot quicker and uh, get back into your training and put on those final finishing touches before you might be going off to Kona. Kona's going to be rolling around pretty soon. We're in August already and it's going to be October before you know it. So if, if if you're going to Kona and you want that little extra edge, Check out xendurance.com. Remember to use the promo code IMTALK20. That also works on the, the European sites, so the um, .eu and the .co.uk. Use that promo code. should be working a good one.
0: Okay, check it out, Xendurance. And the feedback we get is that you guys love it, so check, check, check it out. Jumbo questions and answers. answers. So we've got an email through from good old Rob. Uh, Dutchie. Th- Dutchie, Dutchie, right, Duchy, And he was basically talking about the discussion around 50 females in Kona, and he had an argument that differed from maybe what Thorsten was saying.
1: Yes, yeah, so he was sort of saying, you know, he had a look at the 500th guy versus the 500th girl because I was sort of comparing the 35th woman compared to the 35th bloke, and then he was just saying, what about a bit, bit further down there? The So the 500th bloke, had 35 points, and the 500th woman, there is no 500th woman. Of the 536,307 points that earned by the men they're shared over 657 guys and there's only 492,000 points earned by the woman shared over 354 ladies. That's an average of 820 points per chap and 1390 points per lady. So he's sort of saying that, you know, there's there's points out there on the table that aren't being claimed by the girls. So I agree that women shouldn't have to race more. I just have a theory that because there are the same number of points available to ladies at the qualifying races and less ladies to share those points across, it will have the effect that individual ladies will need to gain more points. So it all starts to get a bit confusing. Torsten um, came back and he was saying that, to sum up a long argument, I started to write out, I think your averaging of points and results difference is just an implication of fewer pro women racing and consequently fewer of the low points being utilized. So what he's sort of saying, you know, often you'll go to races uh, and there might be 50 guys just getting all the points, but there might only be 15 girls getting all the points. John's women racing more often mainly refers to those trying to make it to Kona. These women's women still race a bit more than their male counterparts for males it's 2.3 Ironmans versus 2.5 iron man's woman though that spread seems to have gotten smaller in the recent years so thorsten's theory is he thinks more and more women have realized that racing often to qualifying kills their chances of doing well in kona and therefore rolling the dice or making it or not um, they're okay with that, but you also have others that are going for it. Apparently, Rachel, Rachel Joyce thinks of a couple more points by racing at Ironman Mont Tremblant. I'm glad that we agree that should, we should encourage more women to race, but pros especially as age groupers as well. Therefore, I like the efforts by groups such as Tri Equal and the Women for Tri Board to figure out ways on how to get more women into the sport. Of course, more work needs to be done as I don't see them having a big impact yet. Let's see where things are going to move in the next few years. So. I think we're always going to have this issue that there's never going to be as many... Well, I never say never, but it's highly unlikely you're going to have as many females racing as males when it comes to the Ironman world. I think what gets me is... is you just I, I keep coming back to that point. The girls have to earn more points, and they've got to go and do more races to get those points than what the guys comparatively do. I think that's point number one. Point number two is... When they, how big a deal is it just to put another bloody 15 slots there for the, guy, for the girls when they're just defi- managing to find slots all over the show for all other age groupers all around the world? And I just think we should be promoting equality. And I've kind of come around a bit to the situation. I think earlier on, I was probably think more along the lines of thinking, you know, I don't think the quality is there for the girls, but I'd say Torsten and amongst other people have convinced me that when you actually look at the numbers, the quality of the girls is pretty much the same as the guys when you're rolling through the stats. Now, the quantity's not the same, but the quality is the same. So let's have 50, well, 50
0: for each. Well, the other thing is as well is what's the lost cost to Ironman by having those fifteen pros in the race? You know, like so they lose fifteen age group entries. So what's that, what's that going to cost them, $15,000? Like, for the bad PR they get and the bad, you know, the bad message that comes alongside this, it seems like a, a pretty low cost that you're sacrificing.
1: And when you listen to the likes of Chrissy and so on really saying that our sport has always been a sport that's been about equality and there's very few other sports that can say that, mm. and this is sort of putting us in the same group as other sports. So I just think it's –
0: it's a no-brainer, it's, isn't it? It's a no-brainer. Brody, you just sent through a really good interview. Um, and sorry, a very, very good question, or comment at least. So love the show, etc. I'd just like to bring up your attention to the Asian races that keep getting Kona slots thrown at them. And I see you stick up for Ironman Wonder by saying there are not many Ironman races in the region. In Asia, there's Korea, Taiwan, Malaysia, and Philippines. In Australia New Zealand, you've got Kins, Port Macquarie, Busselton, Taupo. And probably more competitive fields. I'll leave it just there. So he's kind of saying, actually, we've got enough races.
1: I think if you look at the population, possibly not. I think I think Australia and New Zealand do pretty well in terms of the number of slots we get as a, as an area. Given we've got a championship race, and uh, I think we do okay. I, I've... Brody I'm, I think we'll just have to d- agree to disagree agree on this. Agree to
0: disagree. Okay, Mike sent through another email here. He's just talking about. Last I'll, I'll scan through. Scan yeah.
1: through this one, Bevan. So if you remember, a few weeks ago, I did the sort of segment on how to create a route and uh, ride with GPS, and uh, and then put it onto your Garmin and it'll help you navigate your way around courses around the world. Bevan threw one back at me, me and said, surely Garmin uh, do this on their website, and I wasn't quite sure, but apparently they do. So you can actually go into Garmin Connect. You don't have to pay to um to, to do to do that, you go into Garmin Connect Dashboard, go to Training on the side menu, and then click on the Courses in the drop-down. That will bring you to a map and a list of all the saved courses, and then you can create a course and go through in a pretty similar way to what I discussed. DC Rainmaker has, uh, also has a good um, how-to on downloading free maps for all the regions around the world. You don't have to pay for them. And then one other point that was really brought up that was good was from Pete Rockout Giffins. He was saying he has a further comment on Ride With GPS, which is the platform I like to use. One tip for planning a route is when marking out a course on the map and following roads, be sure to click around the intersections, not in the middle of them. For example, if you're making a left at a corner, click left. If you click in the middle of an intersection, it will default to a right turn. Also, if there is a section on the road on that map that thinks you can't go through, but you really can, you can switch to draw lines, which is on the right-hand menu and make a connection. I wish I knew this when I was plotting Mm. our route groups, because there was one road I was going, that's the bike course. I know we can ride down that road, but the software wasn't allowing me to do it. So apparently there is a fix there. So thanks to Pete Giffins for that.
0: Okay, just a couple of messages. Mick Simpson sent through a email message just about a sad death in the sport. Douglas Waymark died attempting to swim the English Channel. I think he was a bit of a, a local endurance sport athlete in the English region, so it's pretty horrible that he died in the attempts. Pretty horrible kind of experience. So just thinking of his friends and family. Uh, and then we got an email from David Petzer, and he's just saying, I want to cheer Some love about a cool race I did over the weekend with a small triathlon brand, Rev3. Small. Remember that was all the talk a while ago, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah. The race took place in Ooh, Poconos Mountains, Pennsylvania. On the bike course, they got permission to let us ride on the Pocono Speedway on both the road course and the speedway itself. It was awesome to get to ride our bikes on a track that normally has Indy cars and stock cars flying around it at 200 miles plus. Needless to say, I was not moving that fast. The rest of the bike course was hilly but had a spectacular view as we rode over a dam and my left my legs pretty tired as I headed into T2. The road course was a challenge made better by the awesome volunteers staffing the turns and the aid session, stations. They ran a really great race with many personal touches and great swag. I was hoping you give them a shout out on the show. I have done six 70.3s and one full from various different brands. They did the best job by far. So well done to the, the referee team. There you go, Poconise Mountain. Um, and it's probably oh, one more here, John, and Pete Githens. I'll save
1: that for next week.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, we were just talking about the Revel run. Um, Jombo, okay, let's wrap it up. Patrons. We have a few other patrons. Alan
1: Kipters-Chan-Iron-Palm. We've
0: got Alistair Nocton, ko
1: And Aaron tornado Torelio. That's
0: a gold nickname. Okay, if you want to be a patron of the show, just go to Me, and it's all pretty obvious on the website, and then you can join us and... Uh, help us do what we do and you're also going to draw to win a trip to Kona next year and the boys will be there so it's exactly. pretty exciting times Jonbo sponsors
1: Athlinks.com.
0: a social network for endurance athletes and
1: extreme endurance
0: your lactic buffer and our patrons Jonbo Watch your goss their, cor-
1: their record button's still going
0: yeah yep. <laughs> bloody hell I gotta, I'm going to process this afterwards I'm going to get in bed till midnight you know poor <laughs> me um, how was how was Fiji
1: VG was great. Best thing was just zero internet for 5 days. Really? Fantastic. Highly recommend doing that. If you can go somewhere where you don't even have that sneaky look. No yeah. sneaky looking, nothing like that. Absolutely brilliant.
0: What um what book did you
2: read?
1: Finished the the la- the, the last pilgrim and I've started Bravo two two zero or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that Last Pilgrim one, that's a good book. Yeah, that is it's a good pretty, book. It's a
0: pretty long book though. Yeah, yeah. Well, you I'm were reading, reading over in Germany, weren't you? Yeah,
1: I'm a slow reader.
0: <laughs> that took
1: forever. We really did, there's not a lot to report from our holiday because we didn't do much. Played a little bit of tennis, a little bit of uh, pool, but lay by the pool quite a bit. Do you sleep yeah, in? I'm not a great sleeper in it, but, you know, seven-ish was sort of, but then you just get up and read books, so, yeah. yeah was yes. not a very highly active holiday that's what you need you
0: exactly. need some some downtime john some downtime i Evan? went and saw i and saw Jerry seinfeld the other night
1: oh right yeah, yeah. funny
0: yeah what, what a genius right like, yeah. what a talent to be able to just stand in front of 15 he must make so much money like apparently he's made nearly a billion dollars from the show but yeah i think i paid 200 bucks to see him so it's like it's like 15,000 people there. he's he's doing all right but um jeez mm. just the ability to, because he played for ninety minutes, and he was just nonstop, and and you're yeah. laughing the whole time. Good times. Highly recommend if you get to see him somewhere in the world. So that, that was pretty much the extent of my weekend. I was not Fantastic. laying on the beach. Fantastic. Get, oh, I was. There we go. Okay, let's wrap it up. Iron am Russ. I'm Midnight. Train hard. Train smart. Kick